So I invite you to turn to Exodus 1. Here we go. There should be a Bible within reach of you. They look like this. They're black ones. And there are extras on uh, stacks behind the brick posts. So if you need an extra one or you need one, you can go grab one. Exodus 1 on page 43. So Exodus comes after Genesis. It's good to know, Bible trivia. Exodus comes after Genesis, and the story of Genesis ends with the story of Joseph and how he and his brothers become reconciled. And it's a great story, and I preached on it a few years ago. So if you want to, you know, if you're kind of looking for something to listen to in your iPod while you go running, all of those Joseph sermons are archived and available on iTunes. But that's how the Genesis story ends. It ends with Jacob and his 12 sons all being together in the land of Egypt. And so the book of Exodus kind of picks it up right there. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The total number of people born to Jacob was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt, and Joseph died, and all his brothers, and that whole generation. But the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, come. Let's deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase. And in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites." The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the uh, Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes. What are we going to do about that? So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all all his people, Every boy that's thrown into the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. This is the word of the Lord.
What are you afraid of? It's a good hot seat question. What are you afraid of? Snakes? Spiders? Rivers? I understand that fear. Mice? I know somebody who is deathly afraid of fish. Fish. So much so that when she goes water skiing and she falls, her husband, who often water skis alongside of her, will swim over to her and hold her up out of the water so that she doesn't have to worry about any fish coming near her. She's that scared of fish. Yes. What are you afraid of? It's a good question to ask because this first chapter in the book of Exodus is all about fear. Pharaoh is terrified. He's done a head count. He's looked at people. And he's realized that he's in trouble. The Israelites are multiplying like crazy. And if they keep this up, bad things are going to come for Pharaoh. They're going to align with his enemies. They're going to rebel. They're going to revolt. It is not going to be good for him. And so Pharaoh does what every tyrant has done throughout history when they're trying to control a different people group. He enslaves them. He oppresses them. He makes them work really, really hard. More labor, more work. Make their lives miserable. Make them afraid of him. That's his plan. So he goes out, imagine this, one day he goes out to check out Ramesses, see how it's going, see how the building project is coming along, and he looks, and the building project's looking good, he's very proud of himself, and he looks at the Israelites, and they look miserable, and he's very proud of himself, and let's say that he wanders from Ramesses, and he walks through a little village where the Hebrews live, and he sees all the signs, it's a boy, it's a girl, it's a boy, it's a girl, it's twins, And he's like, what's going on here? This is not how this plan is supposed to work. Every tyrant who has done this plan, it's worked. Why is this working? It's not working. I need a new plan. I need a new plan. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Midwives. I'll talk to the midwives. Because the midwives had a very particular role in a community. If a community or a village or a family had a good midwife, she could make all the difference and how that family flourished. In fact, in some cultures, the midwife kind of had a role as priest because she would offer up incense and prayers during the whole birthing process, and if she did everything well and rightly, then the gods would allow the baby to live. So the midwives were crucial to his population control experiment. And so he calls them in, Shipra and Pua, these Hebrew women. Maybe they were too young to have families of their own. We don't know. Maybe they were married but hadn't hadn't become pregnant yet. We don't know. But they're called before Pharaoh, the tyrant, the one who has made their lives and the lives of their people miserable. They have seen their brothers and uncles and fathers and grandfathers come back from a shift at night, weary, hands scarred and scuffed, bleeding from the hard work. They have heard the tears of the women, the lament, the weeping, as they have mourned the men who died in accidents at work. 
as they mourn the men who were starved because they were working so hard. Shipra and Pua have seen the misery that this tyrant has caused. And now he is standing before them. And they look into his bloodshot eyes and they can smell the fear in his breath. And he looks at the two of them and he says, kill the babies. Kill the boys. As soon as they're born, as soon as you see it's a boy, you kill it. The girls, doesn't really matter. We can exploit them in other ways. We can sell them off. But boys grow up and they can wield weapons and I can't have that. You kill them. Kill the babies. Because the job of a tyrant is to instill fear. To make the people afraid. The job of a tyrant is to instill fear. It was back then and it is today. Now, it's easy for us to look around our world and see where the tyrants have come and gone, see where the tyrants still are today, still trying to oppress people, still trying to make people afraid. But for most of us, that's not our primary fear. Our primary fear isn't of a political tyrant. But what about the emotional ones? What about the spiritual ones? What are you really afraid of? There's a researcher named Brene Brown who actually studies fear and shame, and she's looked at what the triggers are for men and women in shame. And she talks about them in her book. And she says, for women, the tyrants say things like this. Be perfect, but don't make a fuss about it. If you're really good, perfection should be easy. Don't upset anyone or hurt anybody's feelings, but please say what's on your mind. Just be yourself, but, but not if that means being shy or unsure. Don't make people feel uncomfortable, please, but be honest. Don't get too emotional, but don't be too detached. Does that sound like some of the tyrants you hear? When she talked with men in her research, they said this, shame is failure at work, on the athletic field, in relationships, with money. It doesn't matter. Shame is failure. Shame is being wrong. Shame is having a sense of being defective. Revealing any weakness is shame. Don't be the guy who can get shoved up against the lockers. That's the words of the tyrant. I'm not allowed to show fear. I'm not allowed to be vulnerable. You will never be enough. You will never be good enough. You will never be smart enough. You will never be good-looking enough. What are you really afraid of? The tyrants come into our lives and they scream these things into our ears again and again and again. Don't 
reveal your shame. Don't reveal who you really are. Women, when you're on a floor with everybody, just get along. I mean, come on. Be nice to everybody all the time, forever, and always smile, please. Does that sound like the tyrants that you've heard in your life? The tyrant that says, when you look in the mirror, you are simply not enough. The job of the tyrant is to instill fear. The job of the tyrant is to lead us to death. And so the tyrant doesn't only say to you, you are not enough because you are not an athlete. You are not enough because you are not an academic. You are not enough because you are not white or blonde or tall or American. You are not enough. The tyrant then also says, kill the babies. Kill any thought you have that leads to life. When you look in the mirror someday after you've gotten all ready to go and you look in the mirror and you have that little thought that says, I look pretty good today, kill it. When you have the thought, flittering though it may be, that you could actually do well here in college, kill it. When you have that thought that someday, somewhere, someone will love you, kill it. Kill it, says the tyrant. Kill any life, kill any hope, kill any future, and listen to me. Shipra and Pua stand before the tyrant. They stand before the tyrant. And are they afraid? Or do they fear? But the midwives, the author says, but the midwives feared God. And so they let the babies live. The midwives feared God, and so they let the babies live. And then Pharaoh calls them in and says, what are you doing letting the babies live? And Shipra and Pua say, well, you know, it comes down to this. Uh, we're just better than you. We're good at this life stuff. We're good at this life stuff, Pharaoh. And you know what? Wow, and those babies, they just whoo, come right on out. It's fantastic. And it'd be easy to look at Shipra and Pua and say they are fearless, but they are not. There's a difference between being fearless and fearing the right things. And Shipra and Pua Fear the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Where does that come from? How can they do that? This guy standing here with the bloodshot eyes and the bad breath, this guy could kill them. From where do they get the strength? From where do they get the courage? Do you remember at the beginning of the story when it said that a new king arose in Egypt who did not know Joseph? Right? That's code. That's code. The author of Exodus is saying he's jumping in the story here. He doesn't know anything about Genesis. He doesn't know about Joseph. 
He doesn't know about Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers, who had an incident with Potiphar's wife, who was thrown into jail, who interpreted dreams for the cupbearer and the baker, who got hauled out of jail to interpret dreams for Pharaoh, who saved the land of Egypt from famine and destruction, who had this amazing story of reconciliation with his father and his brothers. And if the Pharaoh who lives now does not know the story of Joseph, then he does not know Joseph's God. And there is a refrain that comes up again and again and again in the story of Joseph, and it is this, the Lord was with Joseph, 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 the Lord was with Joseph. This new king in Egypt did not know Joseph, and he did not know Joseph's God, but you know who did? Shipra and Pua. Because this story of Joseph and his brothers had been told to them from generation to generation to generation. They heard about this God, this God who is mighty, this God who is with his people, this God who is always working to bring life out of death, to bring strength out of weakness, to bring hope out of despair. Come, they would hear their grandmother say, come, let me tell you again about Joseph. Come, they would hear from their uncle, let me tell you a story about Isaac. Come, let me tell you about Abraham, their father would say. As their mothers rocked them to sleep at night, they would hear the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And so they grew to fear this God. To fear not to be afraid. Because unlike a tyrant, this is a God who moves people from death to life, not from life to death. And so they learn to fear this mighty and powerful God who is doing things beyond our asking or imagining, who is doing things throughout history that they couldn't even understand or process. But they had heard the stories again and again and again and again. So when Pharaoh called them in, they had fear but they were not afraid. And you know what God did? He honored them. He honored the women who feared him. The God who has been giving life out like crazy across the Hebrew nation. He gives them the gift of their own families. The very gift they have been told to snuff out, to shut down, kill the babies, Pharaoh said. God said, no, 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 no. I got this. And this, my friends, is a hint of what is going to happen throughout Exodus. Because this little reading that we did this morning ends with Pharaoh saying, oh, well then fine, throw the babies in the Nile. Keep the girls, I don't really care about them, but throw the babies in the Nile, all the boys, they go in the Nile. And you can just imagine... Shipra and Pua, hearing about that and thinking to themselves and saying to other people, ooh, this Pharaoh, he doesn't know who he's messing with because we fear a God who brings life. So what are you afraid of? The tyrants that we live with, 
day after day after day, tell us that we need to be more, tell us that we need to try harder, tell us that we are not enough to hide our weaknesses, to hide our feelings, to pretend that we're perfect. What does it look like to fear God and tell the tyrants that we are not afraid? What would it look like for Calvin College to be a place where people feared God and were not afraid of tyrants? Maybe it would look like a community of 4,000 students and 700 staff and faculty who commit together to keep Sabbath. And against the tyrant that says, you need to try more, you're going to fall behind. Academic achievement is the only way to success. Busyness is a virtue. We stand against that tyrant and say, we are not afraid. We fear the Lord. We are willing to say, if I step out, of my chief calling as a student or a teacher or a preacher, a pastor, if I step out of my calling for one day, I'm pretty sure God can fill in the gaps. What would it look like if we said, we fear God and we are not afraid of tyrants? What if when we saw someone walking by and we were in a group of people and began to describe that person instead of saying things like, well, she's really tall. I think she's from Korea. I think she's a pre-med student. What if we saw her walk by and we said, that is a woman who loves the Lord. What if instead of describing someone to another person and saying, well, he's about 5'10", he's got this great curly brown hair, he's got a beautiful smile, we said, that is a man who loves the Lord. What if we started describing people by the fruit of the Spirit? Oh, that one, she is gentle. Oh, she's the, she's got, the fruit of the Spirit is just like, poof, in her, so gentle. You see somebody, you'd be like, that person joyful, so joyful, all the time, joyful. This is the best thing. You've got to meet her. The spirit is joyful in her. If we said, oh, patient. I can't. He is such a man of patience. You've you got to get to know him. You're all struggling. You've got to get to know this guy. Wow. What if we completely upset how we described people on this campus? So instead of being worried about, do I look good? Is this black t-shirt slimming? We started to say, there is somebody who loves the Lord. There is somebody who's got the armor of God on her. There is a man of God. There is a man after God's own heart. There is a man who is full of love. What if we completely upset it so that when someone came from off campus to on campus and they, they said, oh, I haven't met her. What, she, what does she look like? We'd say, oh, man, she looks like the Spirit of God is alive in her. And they'd be like, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> And we would say, let me tell you. Because here on this campus, we fear God and we are not afraid of tyrants. And what if it looked like this? When the tyrant screams that you need to be perfect and do not hide your weakness and do not hide your sin. What if it looked like it looked a week ago Saturday when a member of our orientation board stood up and talked about his struggle with pornography and masturbation. 
and he talked about a God who moved him from death to life. And because he was willing to make that assertion, God honored the community. Because it meant that somebody else was able to say that. Which meant that somebody else was able to see this community not as a place where he had to hide his addiction and hide his faults, but a place where once they were expressed, they were met with the fear of God and the love of Jesus. And he was moved at the sampan from a place of death to life. And we say here at Calvin College, we are not afraid of tyrants because we fear the Lord. And God honors those who fear the Lord. Did you know that a testimony like that would change a life? No. You were faithful. You honored God. God honors you. You don't know how your faithfulness will be rewarded. Shipra and Pua were faithful. They were obedient. They feared the Lord. They were not afraid of tyrants. And the Lord honored them. And the Lord will honor us. This does not mean that your life will be easier. This does not mean you will get a certain GPA that all your prayers will be answered, that you will make friends, that life will be easy street from here on out. That's not what God means. When God honors us, it means that he is going to continue to move us from things that kill to things that give life. And this is what our God does. We see this in the person of Jesus Christ. We see this in the prophecy, in the preaching that Jesus himself did when he said, look, people, I know. I get that you're worried about lots of things. You're worried about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. Is it going to look good? Is it going to be slimming? I know you're worried about grades and parents and pleasing people and serving the right major and can you afford this? I know that you're worried about lots of things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be given to you as well. Because our Jesus calls us to fear God and to not be afraid of tyrants. Because our Jesus looked at the last enemy, the last tyrant, death, and said, you lose. So I ask you again, what are you afraid of? If you have not yet committed yourself to Jesus Christ, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? This is a God who takes people who are steeped in addiction and sets them free. This is a God who takes people who are working on eating disorders and moves them into health. This is a God who takes people who are depressed and surrounds them with friends who will love them into health. This is a God who moves us from death to life. What are you afraid of? And if you've already committed yourself to Jesus Christ and you know that you're holding on tightly to things that you shouldn't be holding on tightly to because you think, oh, I can't give this up. This makes my life too easy. This makes my life fun. And I'm afraid if I give it up, my life won't be fun. That's the tyrant talking. That is not the voice of the Lord. What are you afraid of? 
What are you afraid of? Because tonight, our God is saying to you, you do not need to be afraid of anything. You do not need to be afraid of anything. Because I, as I was with Joseph, so I will be with you. So I am with you. And if you fear me, I will honor you. So what are you afraid of? There are going to be prayer servants tonight who are here. I'm here. Paul's here. The worship team is here. Your RA, your friends. It's tonight, tonight where you need to move from death to life. Make it happen. Because there's nothing, nothing to be afraid of. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, we fear you. We are in awe of you. We revere you. We worship you. How amazed we are at the strength of Shipra and Pua. But they were just like us. They were people who knew the story of a God who moves from death to life. And so help us to be people who stand in their long family tree, who say that we too are people who fear the Lord and are not afraid of tyrants. Help us to be bold, to be countercultural, to stand against the values of this world and instead be transformed by renewing our minds more and more into the image of our Jesus who invites us to seek first the kingdom and joins us in it. In his name we pray, amen.